the Beatitudes, which is the, the passage of Scripture that we've just read together. It is the opening section of the Sermon on the Mount. And the eight Beatitudes taken together are a portrait of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this evening, we're going to focus on the eighth Beatitude, which you'll find in verse 10. So let me read it one more time for us. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus continues, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's open um, with a word of prayer. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is absolutely true, and which you give to us because you love us. And will you now, in your grace and by the working of your Holy Spirit, help us to understand your word, then more, to, more than even understand to surrender our lives entirely to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we consider the eighth beatitude this evening, I want to begin by telling you about a young woman named Perpetua. Perpetua lived in the year 200 AD. She lived in the city of Carthage in North Africa, which was part of the Roman Empire. She was from a wealthy family. She was a noblewoman. And at the age of 22, she was newly married, and she had a nursing child. She was also a catechumen. It's not really a word we use much today, but what it means is that she was preparing to be baptized. She was being taught about Jesus. She was being instructed in the Christian faith. And at this time, in North Africa, there was, it was the center of a vibrant Christian community. But the emperor of Rome, Emperor Severus, was determined to wipe out Christianity. And so soon after being baptized as a Christian, she was found out, and she was put in jail. And one of the remarkable things about Perpetua's story is that we actually have her diary from the time when she was put into prison and persecuted for her faith. And in her diary, Perpetua wrote about the horrible conditions of being in jail. And the hardest thing, though, she says, was the concern for her infant son. Now, Perpetua's father was not a Christian. And he couldn't understand why she would risk her life for this faith. And he would visit her in prison and he would plead with her to renounce her faith. He would say, well, just think about your infant son. But she would not deny Jesus, which is what would be required for her freedom. She said to her father, she had this little illustration, Father, do you see this vase here, this glass? Could it be called by anything other than what it is? And her father said, well, no. Well, Perpetua said, neither can I be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. And then at her trial, the governor gave her one more chance. He said, have pity on your father's gray head. Have pity on your nursing son. Offer the sacrifice of welfare to the emperor. 
but Perpetua, she simply replied, I will not. And so the governor asked her, are you a Christian then? She said, yes, I am. And so she was given the death sentence. And that was the last time Perpetua ever saw her son. And on the day of her execution, she was led into the stadium. She was trampled and then tortured by wild animals and then finally slain by the sword. On the one hand, this is a tragic story. But it's actually so much more than that. It's a story about true allegiance to Jesus. Right? In a time when allegiance to the emperor and allegiance to family meant everything, Perpetua gave her allegiance to Jesus before anything else. She would not deny her faith, even when persecution came. And so we're looking at this eighth beatitude tonight, persecution. I don't know if you came to church this evening ready to talk about persecution. But Jesus is telling us that if we give our ultimate allegiance to him, if we surrender our life to him, we will inevitably encounter some form of persecution. And so when we read Jesus say, blessed are you, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, this is pretty sobering. Right? This, this might actually sound shocking to us. We mean, blessed are the persecuted. And I, it's even more challenging because I personally come from an affluent slice of the global church. And a part of the church that has not historically been very acquainted with the kind of persecution that Jesus speaks of in this passage. But Jesus says to us, this is also a part of what it means to be his disciple in the world. So to get at the heart of this beatitude, I want us to look at three things that Jesus says here. He talks about the reality of persecution, and then the reason for it, and then our response. Okay, very simply. So let's begin then with the reality of persecution. We see this in verse 10. Jesus says again, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You know, and one of the unique claims about the Christian faith, a claim that Jesus makes here in our text, is that if you follow him as a disciple, Jesus says the world will persecute you. Jesus says to his followers in John chapter 15, verse 20, he says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This has been true for the family of God ever since the beginning. It starts all the way back when righteous Abel was murdered by his brother Cain. And then we see this reality of persecution when Pharaoh held the people of God captive in Egypt and he enslaved them and he persecuted them. And then all throughout the Old Testament in the major and minor prophets, those books were written in a context when God's people were being persecuted and oppressed by Babylon or Assyria. And then we get into the New Testament and the entire New Testament is written in the context of the first century Roman Empire, where if you declare that anybody was Lord except Caesar, it would get you the death penalty. And that's what happened to 11 of, of the 12 of Jesus' disciples. They died as martyrs because of their devotion to Jesus. 
And then the twelfth one, John, died in exile on the island of Patmos. You know, and persecution was such a pressing issue for the early church. We see it referenced in different places in the New Testament. And so Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But lest that we think that this is an, you know, an ancient reality that maybe doesn't really affect us today, let's talk a little bit about the current situation. There's this nonprofit organization called Open Doors. They track and they report how Christians throughout the world experience persecution. And they talk about persecution in two ways, which I think is really helpful. They have these two words. They talk about smash and squeeze. Okay, smash and squeeze. They define smash as any act of violent persecution. And then they talk about squeeze as this, a kind of persecution that occurs when cultures or governments make life difficult for Christians. So I, I think this is a really helpful framework because I think it gives us a helpful language to talk about persecution. And when it comes to the smash... Open Doors report that today there are more than 360 million Christians in 50 different countries who experience what they call high levels of persecution. So that is about 1 in 12 Christians worldwide. 1 in 12 of our brothers and sisters around the world right now experience high levels of persecution. Moreover, they report last year in 2022, more than 5,600 Christians were murdered for their faith. Over 2,000 churches were attacked. More than 5,000 Christians were abducted. And so this is relevant today as much as it was in the Roman Empire. At a church I served in in Taiwan, I was teaching a Sunday school class on the theme of peacemaking. And one of the guys in the class, he was a PhD student from Indonesia. And he shared how a few years previous, a group of men had burst into his church on a Sunday during worship, just like we are doing right now. And they came in and they killed his pastor with a machete. And then he asked, how do I apply the principles of peacemaking to this situation. I don't, I mean, I don't remember what I said. I probably had no idea what to say in that situation. But that's just an example of how many Christians around the world today experience what Open Doors calls the smash. And organizations like Open Doors and others say that this type of persecution is the highest it's ever been. And then many more countries around the world experience what they call the squeeze. And when I was in seminary, I had several classmates from, from Taiwan. They would give their testimonies during chapel. And they talked about the deep pain, the struggle of being disowned by their parents for becoming Christians. Because it usually meant that in that culture, when you became a Christian, you would no longer participate in the ancestor worship. And so that caused great conflict and division in the family. In many places around the world, there is tremendous cultural pressure that makes it challenging to be a Christian. 
So now we, might, we should ask, well, how about us? How does this apply to us today here in Canada? You know, we, we live in a place where there is relative safety, there is relative freedom. Do we have a place in this story? And the answer is yes. The odds are that we are likely not going to face the smash. Like Perpetua and like many of our brothers and sisters around the world today. But we will likely face the squeeze. Right? This constant pressure to compromise and to conform to culture. And, and we will likely face ridicule and shame if we refuse to do so. You know, maybe you've been in a university class and you get ridiculed for taking the Bible seriously. Or maybe at work you are passed over for a promotion. Someone else gets it because they understand the unwritten rule about how things really work in that company, even though it is not right. And so that's the reality of persecution, and that has been the experience of our brothers and sisters throughout history and around the world. Jesus tells us up front that persecution is an unescapable part of following him. And so that brings us to the next part of the beatitude, which is the reason for persecution. Why are Christians persecuted? Like, what's, what's the reason for this? And we see the answer that Jesus tells us in verses 10 and 11. Jesus says, Blessed are the, uh, yeah, 10 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So as we think about the reason for persecution, let's first be clear about what this beatitude is not saying. This beatitude is not saying, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are being difficult. Right? It doesn't say, blessed are you if people speak evil against you because you're just being obnoxious, or you're just being belligerent and you're looking for trouble, or you're just being unloving. Right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus describes is that we are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In Matthew's Gospel, a person is described as righteous when they are whole being. Heart, soul, mind, and strength aligns with God's will, and it aligns with God's character and His kingdom. And what that means is you are blessed when the persecution is taking place because your life is looking more and more like Jesus. And you are persecuted when you're, you are being faithful to him. And so, but why does that lead to persecution? Why does being faithful to Jesus, why is following him in every way, why does that lead sometimes to persecution? And again, Jesus tells us. Again, in John chapter 15, in verse 19, he says, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. Right? We experience that. If you pretend or if you act or if you live as if you belong to this world, the world will love you as its own. As it is, Jesus says, you do not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Right? Jesus is saying, 
If you are his disciple, if God has chosen you, you don't belong to this world. You belong to Jesus. You are a citizen of his kingdom. And the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven are in conflict. Long ago, Augustine helped us to understand this fundamental, deepest level of division and conflict that we experience in this world. He gets kind of underneath all of the surface level conflict that we see and experience to get to what is really at the root of all. He said this, he said the human race is divided into two cities. Today we might think of the word language of identities, two identities, but he uses this word cities, and this is what he wrote. He said two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The earthly city glorifies in itself. The heavenly city glories in the Lord. The one seeks glory from men, but the greatest glory of the other is God. The one lifts up its head in its own glory, The other says to its God, you are my glory, the lifter up of my head. And friends, that is the dividing line. Jesus came into the world in Matthew chapter 4, I believe, and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, cross over from this kingdom of self, living for your own glory, wave the white flag of surrender to the true king and live for his glory. And we are transferred from the kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And that is why the early church, simply by claiming to be a Christian, this was a deep demonstration of loyalty to Jesus. Because to say, Jesus is Lord, meant that Caesar is not. And no other power is. And that's why it was a great source of persecution for the early church. And friends, the same is true today. If you say Jesus is Lord, and if you seek to have his word and his ways shape the way you live and think and speak and act in this world, that will put you in conflict with the world. You know, because Christians are people who have had a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Right, We have received the grace of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit has regenerated us. He has chained us. It is sanctifying us. We, we've tasted and seen that God is good. And we are people who are praying that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We are people who are wanting to walk in the ways of our Savior and Master, to model to the world around us what it looks like when the light of Christ breaks into the darkness that is around us. And if we're truly following Jesus... If we're walking in his footsteps, it will expose the darkness. And that's why the next thing Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And when we live as the light, the result will be persecution. Jesus says the world will hate you. I think of William Wilberforce, who was a leader of the movement to abolish the slave trade. And he was mocked and oppressed his entire life because he was shining a light in the darkness. He was fighting against the kingdom of the world. 
Martin Luther King Jr. labored for the dignity of black people in America, and he was executed. He was shot. And so what is the reason for the kind of persecution that Jesus speaks of in this text? Simply it is supreme loyalty to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's a loyalty that is expressed with our mouths, and it is embodied in our lives and our actions. And friends, this is especially true when we follow the whole Jesus, not just part of him. If you follow the whole Jesus, people are going to reject part of you, the part that is out of step with the surrounding culture. And like Jesus said, they will speak all kinds of evil against you. And that was true of Jesus. They spoke evil against him. And it will be true of us if we are following him. And so here's what I want us to think about. As we read this saying of Jesus, blessed are the persecuted, if these verses are completely foreign to our experience, like if we never feel like we don't belong to the culture we live in in any way, we have to ask the question, who am I really following? Right? Are we following all of who Jesus is, all that he says, or are we only following the parts that the world approves of, but really we're following what our culture also approves of? Or are we following part of Jesus, but actually we really love our comfort? Or are we following part of Jesus, but only the parts where we don't worry what other people will say about us. So I think the question for each of us, for me, is will you and will I give our reputation to Jesus? That's how I think that applies to us mostly today here in Canada. Will we give our reputation to Jesus? Will you, will you give up your social standing to Christ? Will you surrender to him what other people say about you for the sake of what he says? Will you surrender what others think of you for what he thinks of you? And if you will, Jesus says, you are blessed. And what that means is you are living in harmony with him and with his kingdom. And that lastly brings us to the response of persecution. And we see this in verse 12. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the book of Acts, the apostles John and Peter, they were preaching the gospel. For that, they were thrown in prison, they were beaten, and then they were released, they returned to the other disciples, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And when you encounter persecution, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. And, and he says, I want you to keep two things in mind here. He says, number one, you can rejoice and are glad because great is your reward in heaven. I, I think, I don't feel comfortable talking about or thinking about being rewarded for following Jesus, right? I think that's kind of strange to us. I mean, we, it's all by his grace. But not only that, not only does he call us to himself and he gives us the spirit, he gives us all things, he rewards us. It's grace upon grace. And so for, like, we might not get invited to that cool party downtown or wherever, but we are invited to feast with him at the great supper of the Lamb 
where we will be his honored guests. That is the place we want to be. That is a great reward. And when we remember that, that just cheers us up. We can rejoice. We can be, we can be glad. It, in, you know, living for Jesus in the world is not safe. It is not easy, but it is very rewarding. Then number two, not only can we rejoice, well, we can rejoice and be glad, not only because we have this great reward in heaven, but secondly, because we are in good company. Jesus says, for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so, you know, that means when the world treats you like a nobody, when, when you are cold-shouldered, you get assigned a place with the prophets. The moment you get dismissed or canceled is the very moment when you are inducted into this heavenly hall of fame, so to speak. And when we, you know, when we face persecution in the world, it is a great comfort to know that I'm not alone. That actually I'm standing with my brothers and sisters who have stood firm in the faith. And that can give us a lot of courage. And ultimately, here's the reason we can rejoice and be glad. We can rejoice and be glad in the face of persecution because we serve a king who loves us and who suffered for us. And that's why in the book of Hebrews, a book that was written to persecuted Christians in the Roman Empire, it says this in verse 12. So let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. How do, we, how do we endure persecution in this world? How do we give our reputations to Jesus? Fix our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the ultimate form of persecution, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, we rejoice because Jesus suffered for us to set us free from sin and death. Jesus is reigning on his throne, it says. His kingdom is coming, and one day it will come in all of its fullness. And that is our hope. That is our hope. I want to close and leave us with some words from this old hymn by Isaac Watts. The hymn is called, I Am a Soldier of the Cross. Here are two of the verses that it says. Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own His cause or blush to speak His name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Sometimes what God has in store for us, our portion from Him, is bloody seas. So will you be willing to sail through that? Will you be willing to sail through whatever bloody seas the Lord has appointed for you? You know, and we don't know in advance always what that will look like, but Jesus says He will be with you. He promises at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we praise you. You are the King who suffered 
Lord, you came in, in righteousness and holiness. Because of that, the world did not receive you. And Lord, you suffered for us so that we could be called sons and daughters of God, so that we could be citizens of your kingdom of light. And Lord, we pray even right now, Lord, for our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted. Lord, those in China and Iran, Nigeria, North, North Korea, Lord, all the different countries. Lord, would you be with them as you promise? Would you sustain them in the hope of your coming kingdom, Lord, in that they belong to you, body and soul and life and in death? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.